This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to the Mom and Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are talking with Caitlin Buchanan, and she is sharing with us her story, which involves coming to the decision to use a surrogate or gestational carrier, what that experience was like, and how her journey through infertility, recurrent pregnancy loss, and then onto surrogacy impacted her. There's also another really beautiful part of her story that we don't get to hear about too often is that her best friend carried her twins for her. And then plot twist, Caitlin also got spontaneously pregnant during that same period of time. And she shares with us as well what a struggle it was to become parents and all of the many different things that she went through to get to that point. Caitlin is a licensed professional counselor in Virginia with extensive experience treating individuals struggling with anxiety, depression, trauma, substance abuse disorders, and major life transitions. Caitlin is particularly passionate about working with women who are coping with infertility, pregnancy loss, and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Caitlin co-founded a private practice, Women's Therapy and Wellness, that treats women virtually throughout the state of Virginia. She's completed advanced perinatal mental health training through PSI, serves as a volunteer with Postpartum Support Virginia, and is trained in both EMDR and perinatal IPT. It's hard to know just how much somebody has gone through in their life to get to the point to where they are. And sometimes on the outside, if let's say you see somebody with a set of twins and a baby, similar to Caitlin's story, or anybody for that matter, it might be easy to make assumptions about their life or how easy things were for them, especially if it's been a struggle for you. So I think sharing stories like the ones we do on this podcast, in particular, Caitlin's story really sheds a light on that. We don't really know what somebody has been through until we hear from them what they've been through. I am definitely not a fan of making assumptions about people's lives before knowing what goes on with them. But you know, we, as humans, we do that. It's a shorthand way of thinking And unfortunately, particularly in terms of perinatal mental health, 
we tend to assume that other people have had an easier time than we are having when we're going through a struggle. So being able to hear this story from Caitlin, I hope sheds a more light on the perinatal journey. So let's hear from Caitlin. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, appreciate always people coming on to share their personal experience. And I appreciate that you reached out wanting to share also. It's, as you know, not enough people talk about surrogacy and having it, using a gestational carrier and what it's like to be the intended parent and all everything. So I'm really glad to be able to hear from you today and help other people understand also more deeply what the experience is like. Yeah, it's an absolute privilege because I felt like when I was getting into this world of what does it even mean to be an intended parent? What does this look like? I was scared. I was confused. I was nervous. I, there was a lot of grief, all the things, right? And so being able to kind of share what my experience was like and some things that were helpful for me mm. is really just such an honor. So thank you again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So sure. Yeah. Start wherever you'd like to start about your journey. Okay. We'll do. So my husband and I, after we got married, knew we wanted to just wait a little bit before having kids and just kind of enjoy that, that part of our marriage. And so a couple of years in, I was about 28 years old. We decided, all right, it's time. And I knew, you know, I knew from when I was an adolescent that something was off. I never really got periods. And a gynecologist had told me that, you know, perhaps you have PCOS, So we knew that it was an option, you know, a possibility that there could be some difficulty. After about six months of trying, I I met with my OB and, you know, she said, here's some Clomid, you know, try it out. And if it doesn't work, then here's a great reproductive endocrinologist you can meet with. The problem was that I never got a period and she really was, didn't have the same manners and it just kind of shooed me along and made me feel a little bit like I was maybe being ridiculous or, you know, it's only been six months, Um, but I just knew, like I, I knew there was something and I needed more help. So unfortunately my insurance did approve me to meet with a wonderful fertility clinic here in the DC metropolitan area. I went with a doctor and he told me then that it would probably take about six months for me to get pregnant. I think that after, you know, year three or four or five, (laughs) I regretted making that statement, but we jumped right in, you know, into some medications, IUIs. Um, We did three or four IUIs ultimately because I had, they think PCOS, it's still not hundred percent, but because of my difficulty getting a period, but also I made lots and lots of eggs, IUIs just were really tricky for me. So they moved me into doing IVF and I had a great result, tons of eggs, most of them fertilized. And so I thought, this is it. Like, this is my golden ticket. We've, we've got all these embryos. They're great. Let's move forward. You know, first one ended up in a chemical pregnancy and did another transfer. And the second one, you know, we saw the heartbeat not once, but twice went in for a third appointment, which we thought was going to be our graduation appointment. And there was no heartbeat. And that was one of the, really the lowest points I think of our journey, which later, you know, result into many more miscarriages, but it was that time that I realized like, this is not a sure thing. You know, people talk about IVF and they talk about, oh, you get embryos in your age and so on and so forth. And you can become a mom. And while that's true for many people, that is just not accurate, you know, for everyone. There's a lot that it takes a lot more. So we ended up deciding to have the embryo tested and, or the baby tested and realized that he had Down syndrome. It was a little boy. And after that, you know, I was really having a hard time. And I remember going out to dinner with my very best friend, Erica, and she sat across the table from me and I was just, you know, distraught and I don't know what to do. Do we, you know, test the embryos that we have remaining? And um, she was so supportive as always, and then offered 
and said to me, you know, just so you know, if you ever need it, I will carry your children for you. And I remember my response was, first of all, like you are the most incredible human being in this whole world. <laughs> like sure. who says that right. to, you know, a best friend of a mojito, right? And then second of all, I was taken aback almost. And I was like, right. what? Like I can carry a pregnancy. Like I, I just got pregnant twice, you mm-hmm. know? Like, so I couldn't help but feel a little bit offended is the right word, but I was just, I was taken aback and, you know, it's like, thank you. You're, I love you. And I am going to keep, like, I could not even fathom the thought of not carrying my own child. Right. And so fast forward, I'll spare you all the details or we'd be here all day, but I, you know, we had multiple more transfers. I experienced an ectopic pregnancy, a blighted ovum, a few more losses. And it just, it kept going and going until we ran through all of our embryos for whatever reason, I just wasn't ready to take her up on this offer. And Erica was just there on the sidelines. She's like, let me know, you know, when it's time to batter up, I'm, I'm here, I'm here for you, which I realize is what a gift to have someone like that to offer that for you. But ultimately I ended up deciding to have another egg retrieval. Um, once we went through all of those embryos, um, tested all the embryos again, had, had lucky enough to have multiple, was hospitalized for severe, severe over hyperstimulation um, mm-hmm. syndrome. Can you tell by what that is? Yeah. So what that means is when you are on all of these medications, a lot of, they do all kinds of things to your hormones, right? And what the medications that I was taking were doing was to help me to get as many eggs as possible. Generally speaking, you're only supposed to be releasing one egg per cycle. Here I had 38, 39 eggs that were retrieved. And when they removed all of the eggs, there was a considerable amount of fluid left. And I am not a doctor, so I could be, mis- you know, there's a lot more, you know, technical terms, I'm sure for all of this but I had incredibly painful. I I was just completely swollen. I looked like I was several months pregnant. They determined that possibly one of my ovaries had twisted. As a result, it was a really awful experience. And I remember, you know, my mom, my husband was with me in the ambulance and my mom followed me in the car behind. And when we got to the emergency room, she looked at me and said, you're not doing this again. Like enough's enough, Caitlin. You know, she's a nurse and thought I had had a pulmonary embolism. She knows too much about medicine, you know? And so (laughs) Right. Uh, we realized at that point that this is it. Like I've done the retrieval. I'm not going through this anymore. Um, it had been years of me going through loss after loss after loss. And, you know, even when an embryo wouldn't take, when I wouldn't get pregnant, that's still a loss. You know, yeah. there's so much disenfranchised grief related, you know, that, that goes along um, with infertility and pregnancy loss. So ultimately did a few more transfers and then decided I needed to stop. You know, I had a few very good friends that just said, Caitlin, we can't keep seeing you go through this. My husband, who is just incredible, you know, was very much of the mindset. This is your body. We'll keep going as long as you want to. And like, at some point we need to, we really, you know, we have this incredible offer if we even want to go that route. So what's the time span? This was about five years Mm -hmm. of us going through this. And ultimately my I decided that I, for whatever reason, I needed to do one more. And I want to say we did about 12 or 13 frozen embryo transfers just to kind of put things into perspective. And for anyone listening, who's gone through IVF and, you know, transfers, I mean, it's a lot of medication. It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of anxiety, grief. And so for whatever reason I felt, let me also add it. And I'll say this later, the importance of therapy. I was not seeing a therapist during this time. I was you know, I had a lot of support through my friends, my family and a support group, um, which was great. But I finally decided to go seek therapy, practice what I preach, which really, you know, and now, you know, I, and I had been in therapy a little bit before, but really I didn't go to one of those grad school programs that required it, which they all hundred percent should, but yeah. Yeah. And so I started seeing a therapist and we worked really hard together on what are my boundaries here? What are the limitations and decided, I feel like I need to give it one last shot while simultaneously pursuing surrogacy. 
technically it's Erica was a gestational carrier because she used, it was not her eggs. It was my eggs, my husband's sperm. So I decided that we, before I moving that route, I really, I, I wanted to try one last time. And I did got pregnant, miscarried again. Um, at that point, she simultaneously was getting all of her medical clearance done and she was approved. She was ready to go. So shortly after the miscarriage, she started the process of you know, preparing her body to carry a pregnancy. She did get pregnant the first time we saw her beat. It was great. We thought this is it. We're good to go. Second time we went back, graduation appointment, she had miscarried. So at this point I had experienced five miscarriages and this was my sixth. And I'll tell you when the miscarriage is not in your body, it certainly was not any easier. If anything, it felt harder because here I was, I thought this is it. And to see my best friend now have to go through this, I mean, it was horrific. It was awful. And at that point, I just, I put my hands up. I cannot do this anymore. Um, at this point I was, you know, like I said, I was seeing a therapist and realized like, I cannot keep experiencing such heartache. It's such grief. It was impacting my health. It was impacting my work. It was, you know, and I said, I just can't do this anymore. And you know, I hesitate to tell this part because one of the things that bothered me was when people would say, we'll just adopt because, you know, adoption is a whole other, you know, a whole other beast in itself. It's beautiful and it's wonderful and hard. It's expensive and also heartbreaking. But I I did at that point, I decided I need to go the adoption route. I cannot keep doing this. Yes, we have all these embryos left, but I can't keep going through this anymore. And so I set up an appointment with an adoption consultant. Erica said, you know, meanwhile, of course, keeping in touch with Erica, making sure she's okay. You know, at this point, a couple months had passed. She fortunately was able to miscarry naturally without surgery. And I let her know. I said, I just don't think that I can keep doing this. And she invited me over. We sat on our back deck. Thai food, that was our thing we always did before and after transfers. And she looked at me and said, I need to just have one more try. I understand this is so hard for you. I know, I hear you. And I have to, please, please just let me, let's transfer two embryos, you know, and my husband was very much similar boat as her, both of them. This is your decision. Please, can we just do it one more time? And so I decided at that point to set a boundary. And I said, yes, we can. And I can't go to any appointments, which was hard. I mean, that's really hard, right? I was meeting her at, I mean, I literally went to everything. Of course, it was my baby, my pregnant, you know, but I was like, I can't keep going to this clinic. It's just, it's too exhausting for me and, and emotional. So we went through with another transfer of two embryos. I went to the transfer, but none of the other blood work or anything like that. And she carried my twins who are now, they just turned five wow. and it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, I could talk for days and days and days about the actual pregnancy and the birth and, but it was one of those things that, you know, looking back, of course, it was always meant to be this way. It was, and I know that sounds cheesy, but it was always meant to be these two children. And Mm. I wouldn't have had my story go any other way. Um, It is for me, it's about the motherhood. It's about the parenting, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And do I think about how they came into this world all the time? Absolutely. Do I live in like utter awe and gratitude of Erica all the time? Yes. And it's an awesome place to be. Gratitude is a wonderful emotion, right? (laughs) and my children. And I'm just, I'm so, so grateful. I cannot say that enough. So yeah, that's my story more heavy on kind of how we got there than the actual pregnancy and delivery, but I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm very much an open book around that. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood. And they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. 
Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house from beautiful florals to your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash mind and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code MIND. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for that. You did go through quite a lot for a long time. I mean, emotional ups and downs, hormonal ups and downs, just uh, everything across the board. I mean, the toll that it took on you, I can only imagine. But if if you can speak a little bit to that in terms of the emotional toll on you. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, the emotional toll. It's almost like I look back on that as a like totally different life, you know, part of my life. And I, right, right. you know, emotionally I was incredibly anxious. I was always very much on edge, you know, always worried that the shoe was going to drop. You know, anytime I had a positive pregnancy test or even, you know, through the pregnancy with Erica, you know, are you bleeding? Is like, how's your blood pressure? How's that? You know, it was, it's just through this whole span, through my journey of getting pregnant with my own body. And then the pregnancy, you know, with Erica, a lot of anxiety. I, you know, fortunately have an incredibly strong marriage and my partner was so supportive and we really, it brought us closer in a way, you know, with every loss, with every heartache, you know, he was really good at saying, okay, let's go away for a weekend or let's, you know, whatever that might be. And just really focusing in on the family that we did have, you know, because we still very much were a family before they came along, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, emotionally, it just, it caused a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, I had a really hard time. I was, I am a therapist still, but I was a therapist at that point working, doing outpatient type work. And many times where women or people would come in and, you know, be pregnant or, you know, have new babies. And that was always really, really hard, really hard for me, you know, unwanted pregnancies. And I withdrew a lot. I withdrew a lot from a lot of my friends. I couldn't go to baby showers. It was too hard for me. I determined that it was, I had to 
protect myself. One of my very best friends, you know, I remember having a baby and she texted me and said, I understand that you can't come see him right now. And it kills me to say that, but you know, I went and I saw him after a couple of weeks that I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't, you know, happy for her, of course. And so, so depressed sat for myself. This was at a time, you know, in my early thirties where everyone around me was having babies. I, you know, got off social media and really just withdrew and confided in a small handful of people. And I needed to do that. I think you know, to protect my mental health. But fortunately, like I said, finally got into therapy. That was incredibly helpful, you know, and I joined a resolve group with which for anyone listening, going through infertility, um, please, please check out resolve and go to your local uh, resolve support group. I'm pretty confident. Like I wouldn't be a mom if it weren't for them. And Erica, obviously, you know, being able to, that was my outlet because I didn't feel safe or comfortable, you know, in a lot of different areas of my life to go to talk about all of this. Thank you for sharing that part of the journey uh, because, you know, I think for people who haven't gone through anything like that, it's, it's hard to fathom what it feels like. And that's a long time to feel, you know, that bad emotionally, just in terms of the emotional process, but also all of the grief that you're describing as well. Does it feel like you're ever going to get out of that? When I was in it? When you were in it? No. It didn't. I mean, and I think there were glimmers of hope, right? There were times when I would just bounce back and, you know, throw myself into the next cycle, right? And I mean, I think that there was certainly hope where I wouldn't have kept going, Mm. right? And I think that with the different support system that I did put in place, like I would just kind of trek forward. However, I think that because of that, because I am pretty type A, go, 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 what I ended up doing was not properly grieving because while I was in it, right? Because I was so focused on the goal, like I need to get pregnant and then eventually I need Erica to get pregnant and stay pregnant, right? And that was half the battle. And so when I was deep in the despair, like after the loss, oh my gosh, I mean, no, I did not think I was going to get out of it. And then I would eventually kind of like come out of it. I had a fantastic doctor, an incredible nurse who would spend lots of time talking with us. And I realized that's a privilege that not everyone gets um, to have that time with providers, but I would eventually kind of pull myself back out. But there were many times, yeah, that I just felt like this isn't going to happen for me. Like I just need to throw my hands up and I'm never going to be a mom. A lot of anger, a lot of anger. Oh yeah. 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 Can you speak to that a little bit as you're talking through it? Of course I have some of my own clients going through through my head who who are in this like long long journey and that is you know some the anger seems to be something that people want to talk you out of the most like be grateful and all this other bs mm-hmm. oh my god such bs <laughs> such bs in fact i love you honey I'll, I'll tell a story real quick just to explain this to show this even the best intended right my husband i remember i was so upset and i was so angry and he's she's this eternal optimist and i remember him saying to me like going to be okay. Caitlin, we're going to get through this. Like you're so strong. We're so strong. You're meant to be a mom. We're going to get through this. I remember losing it on him and screaming and like, I don't want to be okay right now. I don't want to be okay. Like, let me just not be okay. Let me be angry. And I think that that's so important for going in any situation, you know, infertility or surrogacy, pregnancy loss or not. It's just like, allowing that space. Because I think that so often anger is just, you know, shoved aside and it's like, well, what's, yeah. you know, we got to, I think it's very valid in my situation. And for anyone going through this to feel angry, to feel, you know, my, my body's betraying me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm supposed to be able to get pregnant and I want to be a mom. I've, you know, 
wanted to be a mom. What did I do wrong to deserve this? Mm. You know, what did I do wrong? And I remember Erica will never forget this berating nicely, respectfully, as much as you can. My our reproductive endocrinologist after she miscarried and said, what the hell is going on? These are like the nicest people. All they wanted to be is mom. People get pregnant all the time when they don't want to. This isn't fair. And her yelling too. I mean, yeah. she was angry for me. And so I think a lot of people were frustrated by the situation and yeah, it was incredibly angering. So to answer your question, Dr. Pat, I think that it's a very normal emotion and that you're exactly right. People all the time are just like, well, you know, at least you have your husband, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant. At least, you know, you could adopt at, at least, least you have Oreos and these, mm-hmm. and that's like my biggest piece of advice is just like, don't start with a sentence with words at least. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. This. Yeah. You'll you know? lose them so quick. Thank you for talking about the anger. It's, it's really, really important. It's just such a real part of the process. And the other thing you, you touched on is all of the grief that you could maybe attend to a little bit, but then you have to, you know, get ready for the next thing, whatever it is, the next cycle, the next round of medication, the next, the next. So in terms of the grief, did you, I'm curious, like, how do you feel like you were able to deal with it? Whatever that means. Right. I think, you know, a few things. I ultimately... I ended up spontaneously getting pregnant when the twins were two and a half years old after being told I would never get pregnant um, or stay pregnant on my own. I never was able to, right? And so the fact that I got pregnant was completely shocking and wonderful and terrifying. After I gave birth to my son, he I experienced some pretty severe postpartum anxiety. And at that point, I knew that I needed to get back into therapy. And I met with mm-hmm. an unbelievable therapist when I was living out in San Diego. And she worked with me a lot. We did EMDR. Mm. We did some, you know, internal family systems work. We did just a lot of grief work around what I had been through. And that was, I mean, I get full body goosebumps just thinking about the work that we did together. That was so healing. And, you know, it's never too late (laughs) to do work, to cope with loss and grief and, and all the things. And, you know, I realized that through my pregnancy, I was this tightly wound ball that I didn't breathe. I mean, I breathed obviously, but because I was so scared, you know, and So that was one way was through therapy and to really be able to reprocess all of the losses. I think also journaling and writing. I spent a lot of time writing out my story with no intention to do anything with it other than to just write and getting it, you know, creating some space between my thoughts and and these words and on pen paper. And that was really helpful for me as well. And then, like I said, just talking with friends and going to these support groups. I think I was dealing with it a little bit here and there. Like I had people that held space for me in a safe way to be able to process the losses. But I think that the actual real work in terms of decreasing the distress around ultrasounds, around loss, around, you know, uncertainty that was done through some more trauma work. Right. And do you find this to be true with the the people that you support also that uh, grief processing gets delayed sometimes very far out into the future, like until everything's okay? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like finally, like you don't have to to worry or be on top of anything or whatever. And then you start to really feel it. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, we know that like we store, (laughs) we store trauma like in our body. Right. And so I think that it was coming out in different ways. And I think that in terms of 
the same is true with grief, right? Which dramatic mm-hmm. it can be, right? And so I think for, I see that a lot with clients that I work with and with, uh, for other women who I know who I've had the privilege of, of getting to know through their, you know, infertility that a lot of times, yeah, it just gets, it kind of gets postponed or just shoved down. It's like, no, I got to put on the bootstraps and I got to just keep moving forward if I'm going to be a mom, right? I don't have time for that. When in reality, that is so, that deserves healing too. And is, is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind like switching gears a little bit um, into Erica's pregnancy mm-hmm. and I think you had mentioned it, some like the anxiety or worry showing up there too. Yeah. Yes. Um, like, you know, hoping that sh- she can carry or you talk. A Absolutely. Bit about mm-hmm. So as someone who already runs a little anxious and who as a, you know, self-proclaimed highly sensitive person, I was very much nervous. And I, I think it's very understandable and very valid given what I had been through. And I think that whether you are using a surrogate or a, a gestational carrier with, you know, having gone through IVF and losses or not, you know, some people have to move straight to it. Um, it was, it's, it's, hard when you've got your child growing in someone else's body, you know, and I realized too, that it was such a privilege to have someone do it for me who I knew. And, you know, there's amazing people out there that, that do it through agencies, so on and so forth. But regardless, you know, having the pregnancy in, in someone else's body was really, that was hard, you know, and there's a lot of grief, you know, associated with that of too, of course, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the first time that she felt the baby's kick and the, you know, those kinds of things. And, that I, that fortunately, again, I was able to, you know, really talk about and process in therapy and also with Erica. I mean, we had a very open, very close relationship. She's like a sister to me and openly communicating like when the baby kicks, I want to know, you know, like I want to feel, I want to, and you know, if you're having any issues, like she had spotting, I remember around 19 weeks and that was horrific. And she, we had a policy, you know, a protocol in place, policy protocol in place where she, you know, if there's any issues, you always call OB first, then you call me, you know, mm-hmm. and she did. And fortunately, um, babies were fine. And, but yeah, it was really hard because I wanted to make sure, of course, that the babies are okay. And also that she's okay. But with the really awesome team and incredible open communication between the two of us and our husbands, we were able to always just kind of stay on the same page. And I never felt like I couldn't communicate what I was feeling to her. And she knows me. I've, I've known her since that we were born. I mean, she, oh. so she, she knows how I am and she was really wonderful at always, you know, just making sure I know it didn't help. I lived 3000 miles away during the pregnancy. I was in San Diego and she was in Virginia. I have since oh. moved back to Virginia, mm-hmm. but so we were doing you know, all of this virtually once she was nine weeks pregnant, I, I moved up. So that was, it made it hard, but also in a way, maybe perhaps allowed some space for me to kind of just nest a little bit in our new home before, you know, moving back to the babies were born. Oh yeah, for sure. So then you were able to be there for the birth. Mm-hmm. I was my son, little stinker. He flipped right at the end. So she had a C-section. And so originally we did not think that I would be able to be in the room. I'm sorry, that my husband would be able to be in the room. The, um, a lot of ORs will say only one support person. Mm. Um, her husband is a saint and said, I don't need to be in there. You can be in there, Caitlin. And then at very last minute, um, my husband was allowed to be in the room too. So we both got to be there when the twins were born. Wow. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down, 
or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt Free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Well, so I'm thinking of, you know, questions that people who are listening might be having. Um, I guess... Yeah. I mean, people have curiosities and what, what are the things that you kind of questions you get about the birth and what it's like to, you know, be kind of in that waiting period? Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of times people will ask, how do you prepare for that? Right. What did you, how do you even know what to expect when you're in the room? And for me, I think the idea of front loading was really important of being like preparing myself and, you know, learning from others who had gone through surrogacy, connecting with others that, little things like making sure that the nurse knows that you want to be the one to receive the babies, you know, have skin mm. on skin, you know, having that very upfront that, you know, I am the intended parent. That's what parents of, you know, um, babies who are born via surrogacy and gestational carriers are called. So we want, you know, and the hospital was amazing. Um, they have, you know, seats set up for us and we got to hold the babies immediately and do hours of skin to skin. You know, I was prepared, fortunately, with a therapist who knew of the surrogacy world um, that these babies would not have our names on it, you know, and that I think can be really jarring people if you're not prepared that your baby is not going to have your name, you know, depending on the state you live in, you may have to adopt them back and do paperwork and go all through that. And I was prepared for that. So while that might sound like, whoa, to some people, it just, it didn't matter because I was, I knew going into it and I was, I knew that it didn't change anything in terms of my connection with, you know, these children. Yeah, who is walking you through that, like to understand all of these intricacies? Yes. So a few people. Again, like I mentioned, I had a therapist who was trained in this and specialized in surrogacy, which was incredibly helpful. And then I had also one or two people who had gone through surrogacy ahead of me, who I connected with and would talk Mm -hmm. about all of this with. And so really, just a few trusted people that I could get information from because there was so much that I didn't even really think about. You know. And then also our clinic required that we meet with a social worker before moving forward for clearance. And that um, should be a requirement with all clinics. And our social worker was fantastic and kind of talked about all, a lot of these intricacies as well. And, and mm-hmm. just what to be aware of, what's, what are the expectations on both ends between myself and Erica? Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful too. And a lot of this was just 
just ongoing open communication and just managing expectations. Yeah, definitely. Oh, right. And communicating, over-communicating, all of that. Oh, is so, so much communication. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it doesn't, it's not like you just make a decision and then you just do that. Um, right. Yeah. There's so many details too. So I guess being in the, after the, the twins came out, what was that like for you? Oh my goodness. It was incredible. I, it was really unbelievable. And I, like, I bring myself back there and I'm having like a full body, like visceral reaction. It was so unbelievable. They were there because I got to tell you, I still, you know, the further the pregnancy went along, the I, the more confident I felt that this was going to result in me being a mom and uh, to a live baby, you know, but when they came out, it was, there was just so much joy in the room. And I think we were really blessed with a very trauma informed team who was very supportive and aware of our situation and but it was incredible. It was myself and Patrick sitting right at Erica's head and she was just glowing and smiling at her beautiful, incredible self. And then they let Erica go. They wheeled her off into recovery with her husband. And then my husband and I went and got to sit in a room with the twins um, on our chest for hours. We had a pretty magical experience and I realize it is not normal, but we, they even put us in two hospital rooms with, that were you know joined in the middle and we got to stay in a hospital room That's- for days cool. They, you know, let me have a hospital bed. They treated me just like I was, I had given birth. It was, it was really unbelievable. And, you know, we had coolers with food and drinks in between and we'd go back and forth and Erica could do skin to skin until her milk came in. And then she pumped, I mean, she pumped for me for four months. Like this this is, I mean, she's a literally an angel, but there's no, but she's just an angel. And so, yeah. So afterwards it was really, it was, amazing because we got to just be with these two children who had worked so, so, so hard. I've been through so much to have. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. How did Erica, I mean, it sounds like you guys are so close and had communication throughout. Did she talk to you about what it was like for her, the birth and the early postpartum? Yeah. We talk about it all the time. Um, In fact, I was just having dinner with her the other night talking about chatting with you and she was, you know, saying how much I was asking her what would be her biggest tip or, or things you know to pass along in case anyone who was considering being a gestational carrier might want to know. And she just said, just the same thing I keep saying is just openly communicating how you're feeling and your needs. You know, Erica is a bit of a unicorn. I mean, she's one of those people that has just no anxiety. She is completely altruistic, like just wonderful. I'm here. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm just the oven. These are your buns. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and so she's, I don't know that everyone would be like her. I wish that everyone could have an Erica. If anyway, you know, who, who needed, well, just as a friend, but also as a surrogate. But no, she worked for, works for a very awesome company that gave her six months off, even though she wasn't raising the children. So she had a bit of a sabbatical. Oh, um, and so amazing. she just got to be with her amazing kids and, and husband and, she was around the twins a ton before we ended up moving, you know, moved them back to move them to San Diego. She did not experience any postpartum. Um, she also didn't with her first two, but that certainly is something that we were always, you know, very openly talking about and, and made aware that certainly could happen. Right. So she already had two kids of her own when she started the pregnancy with your twins. Yeah. Yeah. So at least in the state of Virginia, the law is that the, you have to have had a live birth yourself. Mm. And so she was done having children. Um, I later found out that she had been postponing a surgery that would help her with incredibly painful periods until I was a mom. And I didn't know that until afterwards, but she had postponed this until she she knew either that she carried children for me or knew that I wasn't going to be up on her offer. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. 
she is a unicorn. <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> Thanks, Erica. That was pretty incredible. <laughs> you know, and we're really, you know, our kids are cousins. Like they mm-hmm. know a lot of questions I think she gets, we would get, and me too, is, well, what if she wants to, to keep the kids or what if she thinks of them like her own or how are you going to tell the kids? And this is just very much a part of our story. This is, you know, the, my twins, they, they know that they grew in Erica's belly because mommy's belly wasn't working. And um, that how cool is that? How special is that? And her kids are, were so excited. And when I was in San Diego, they'd call me every night and put the Doppler on her belly. Which oh, <laughs> one's which one's the girl, you know, and um, they're cousins and they love each other just as though they were family and they're family. So that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So I think that whether you use a, you know, compassionate, altruistic, you know, just, you know, gestational carrier, which is, you know, someone who does it like a family or friend or through an agency. I mean, it's such a gift, someone to do this for someone else. And I think the same advice holds true as just really being as open and honest and communicative as possible and still seeking support for yourself while going through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That comes through crystal clear is like communication and support are yeah. uh, like a lot of yeah. what gets you through this. And so like throughout your experience, you were already a therapist before, but now because of what you've gone through, you're specializing. Yes, I specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. I'm very, very passionate about working with women, particularly going through infertility, pregnancy loss, and um, ideally, you know, if they choose parenting, you know, and postpartum experience. So I work for a private practice here in Virginia. And another thing that I found to be helpful as an intended parent was, and this was a helpful reframe for me that my therapist had recommended was, what is it that you maybe have let go of? going through all of this and something that you can do to celebrate what your body can do. Cause I had a lot of anger, right. Towards my body in terms of, I can't even get pregnant on my own. I can't stay pregnant. It was awful. And, you know, for me, it was running. I had given up this, the joy that came along with running. And so for me, it was, you know, I trained for a half marathon in Georgetown. It was, that became my therapy really um, is just finding my favorite music to just blast and find beautiful places to run. And it was a way to, for me to really celebrate that my body cannot get and stay pregnant. That's awful. And here are some things that it can do. And I'm going to go ahead and celebrate that and feel grateful for that as well. So I would encourage, you know, anyone kind of going through this to really make sure you take an audit, take a self-care audit of, you know, what are some things that I, that bring me joy that maybe I haven't been doing because this has been taking up so much space that I can, I can incorporate back into my life. Oh my gosh. That's so important. Yeah. What a gem. Um, Thanks for sharing that. And for sharing all of your story. I mean, of course we didn't get into every single detail, but it's, I think, especially for people who are in the middle of this struggle, it is, you don't necessarily know how your story is going to pan out and what, what's going to happen. But just to know that, you know, from sharing your story and from hearing that you do get through in some way, whatever that is, it's, it's just hopefully that, well, I know that your story will help so many people. And you don't have to do it alone. You know, this is nothing to be ashamed of. And you deserve support. You deserve community. You deserve to have all your feelings held and, and validated. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for coming and sharing and just appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you'd like to get connected to Caitlin, you can go to her website, wtwva.com for women's therapy and wellness in Virginia. For anyone else out there struggling with perinatal mental health conditions, please know that you're not alone. And in order to help everyone that I can possibly reach, I've created a series of online courses that are easily digestible, 
on-demand, self-paced that you can find on my website, wellmindperinatal.com slash online courses. They're pretty easy to use. And it's me just talking with you about stuff that I know to be helpful. And then I know to be helpful to many, many other people. So know that you can go there for additional support. And as usual, share this episode, please, with somebody who you know could benefit from this. In particular, if you know of someone who's going through surrogacy struggle, infertility struggles, or any other part of this episode that might resonate for somebody that you know. The more people that we can let know that they are not alone, the healthier and happier we will all be. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.